we are acknowledging, wow, we have someone who was made in every way just like us. The Humanity and Divinity of Christ, Part 2. everybody to another episode of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser and I'm here once again with my friends Jim Durkin. Hello. And this time it's myself, <laughs> Michael Harden. Yeah. Who's a, it, he, I am myself today. He, you are. You're I yourself. am myself. And, right. and we wouldn't want you to be anybody else. Michael. I'm going to start singing Sly Stone in a minute. <laughs> I said, Sly Stone, thank you for letting me be myself again. <laughs> All right. Well, last week we were talking about the humanity and divinity of Jesus, and we thought it would be cool to continue that conversation. Uh, last week we wrapped up, we were talking about Gnosticism and uh, some of the bad theology that we've gotten in Sunday school. And so we thought it'd be cool to pick it up because we felt like there was a, uh, there was a lot of ground still to cover on this topic. So, Michael, why don't you kick us off with... Uh, uh, another uh, another trail you see, or another uh, something else to look at on this. Okay, so there at the end of last week, uh, Jim brought up John one fourteen. Um, the in the prologue, the Word became flesh. Um, and I said, I said very suggestively at the end, it doesn't say the Word became a human being, a man. It says the Word became Sarks. So in the intervening time that people had to think about this, they, they should surely have questioned that. What, what, what did I mean? Because Jesus was a human being. He was a man. Why would the author not say that? Why would the author use the term sarks? What's going on, okay, in this? Yeah. That's the first thing. Second, we want to also be aware that use of the logos in Christology is limited to the Johannine author in the New Testament. Nobody else does this, just the Johannine author. And then for the Johannine author, the question is, does the logos, logos, whatever, um, does that refer to the Greek logos of Heraclitus? Uh, or does it refer back to the Jewish scriptures uh, and the Hebrew debar, uh, like the Lord spoke, debar, uh, the word, uh, okay, or is it with reference to the Memra, which is another way of talking about this kind of agent, word, wisdom, a Torah-type agency of word uh, in, in the Targum? So we have many background questions to answer, but then I ask this question, what if the author was aware of all three of them? What if the author is aware that the way people perceive God's Act, speech, structuring reality. What, what if? What if they're all wrong? What if, in fact, we have to place the logos, the structure of reality, within sarks, whatever sarks means, whatever we translate in English as flesh. But what is sarks, right? And then what? What's going on here? Because it says, "Oh, look." 
at the same time the word becomes such, we beheld his glory as he tabernacles, skenaoth, same root uh, consonants as the shkenah, the shekinah, the shekinah glory. And I think there's a deliberate play here on this. This Lagos travels, journeys with us, and we behold his glory as though, you know, he's the, the glory over the tent of meeting, right? And it travels with us in the desert, right? We have all this imagery here tied to this, this Lagos. What is this writer doing by taking Lagos completely out of the realm of philosophy and placing it within the realm of this journey of the God of Israel with the people of God. That's how I want to look at this text. You with me? Yeah. Now, in the second century, Justin Martyr will be the first one to create a Logos Christology. And his go-to for Logos is Greek philosophy. Okay? And Justin will say that Jesus is this Logos that Greek philosophy talks about. The only problem is once those two get connected, the Greek Logos, according to Heraclitus, is polemos, conflict or violence. When the philosopher Heraclitus, this is before Socrates, when he's looking around and he's saying, what is it that orders and structures life and reality as I know it? Conflict, war, violence, polemos, polemic, right? Okay. Yeah. That's what structures reality. Well, this is a great ins- anthropological insight. It's brilliant, right? Um, but the problem is the logos that structures God's reality is nonviolent. So when you put those two logoi together, now you have a mixture that kind of, or at least a platform that allows for the violence of the Greek logos to enter into the Christian tradition. Wow. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, it, and it does. And not just through the Logos, but that, that's a door. You know what I'm saying? So, um, we have to separate out Logos Christology of the later 2nd, 3rd, 4th centuries from what the writer of the 4th Gospel is doing. They're two very different theological moves. That's the first thing I'd really want to articulate about that text. Um, when when you were talking about because I'm I'm eager to get to the when you're talking about the flesh. Um, mm-hmm. So what so what is the author doing there with flesh? So much like the Apostle Paul, Sarks, um, in the Johannine tradition has a similar connotation as cosmos, and it refers to. Um, I'm going to use the term broken reality. The the world as it is, is not as it should be kind of thing. Sarks is one way to talk about that reality. Another way to talk about it is cosmos. Okay. In other words, when you come to Sarks in uh, the fourth gospel, the flesh Jesus, the word becomes flesh, uh, I'm going to do a play on words here, is most fleshed out in John chapter 6, which refers to the Eucharist. There at Sarks Kai Haima, flesh and blood. 
right? And then again, at the end of the gospel, where Jesus will uh, use the same phrase uh, in the epilogue, uh, uh, I, I, I am flesh and blood, right? So flesh refers to the material existence, the, the unstable existence, the broken existence, the human existence. It's kind of a general catch-all category for this reality that we live in that is, that is not, of course, ordered or arranged by by love. Um, so that's Sarks. Now I'm going to throw a third monkey wrench in. And I want to talk here about the wisdom for a moment of the Nicene Creed. Um, when it comes to the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, the Nicene, the framers of the Nicene Creed uh, use this this little phrase they said and i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary and then there's this line who was incarnate and became human and the first greek term is sarx authenta sarx authenta and the second is an anthropo Centra, uh, Santa, an anthroposanta. So the first one you, has that Johannine ring, who was enfleshed, who was in, who was, became material, visible, touchable, you know, okay. But the second um, uh, refers to specifically being human, not just creation, that's Sarks, but being human. And I really think the framers of the Nicene Creed did us a favor. And so if I could take a moment, I'd like to read a couple of, of uh, sentences from some paragraphs where I, I wrote on this in uh, What the Facebook Volume 1. When the Creed says Jesus became incarnate, Sarxothenta, and became a human, an anthroposanta, it's saying two dialectically different things which are both essential. The first... Sarxothenta has to do with Jesus becoming that which is creaturely. Second, an anthroposanta has to do with his specific person as a singular human being. The first has to do with his corporate character as one who has taken up in himself that which was created. The second has to do with his assumption of being a real human being a first-century Jewish teacher and prophet from Galilee. It's important to affirm both of these. If we only affirm the first, we can easily miss out on Jesus as a real person. He's just a corporate figure. He's a, and that's where our liberal friends do, frankly. If we affirm only the second, which is what our conservative friends do, we can miss out on Jesus sharing in our humanness, in our existence as creatures. And they're both necessary if we wish to understand Jesus. So I'll leave that there for a moment as we delve more into Logos Christology. Yeah, that's a that's pretty brilliant of the uh, the people who worked on the Nicene Creed to to put those both in there uh, centuries before we're here, and we have those two extremes that are 
that are dealt with that you just point out on the conservative side and the liberal side that all the way back then they had the wisdom to cover both. Well, they were dealing with both too. Wow. So that's been an ongoing issue through all of church history. There's no such thing as a new heresy, Lauren. <laughs> right. They're all old. <laughs> that's true. You, you just have to wonder, well, you know what it is. Those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And we had a series on or a, lecture, a talk on church history not too long ago. Well, Jim, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, besides the fact that I feel like I'm trying to swim up the Niagara Falls uh, <laughs> with everything Michael just gave us, um, <laughs> I, I'm back on. Uh, the 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 word the logos, um, and and I'm thinking in terms of all of creation uh, being the result of word, being the result of God speaking. Am I am I going down the right path on that, Michael? I'm not sure. I'm I'm trying to follow you. So carry on. Well, if we, you know, if we believe the Genesis report of creation, mm -hmm. God spoke, God said. Mm -hmm. Correct. All right. When I speak, what comes out of my mouth is my word. Right. Okay. So does it take into account all that God revealed through his speech? Not like you, you talked about, uh, you know, uh, Greek, uh, mm -hmm. you know, okay. But doesn't that get, doesn't that take into account everything that um, Moses wrote, everything that, and, and, and don't most people think in terms of when they say the word became flesh, mm -hmm. they're, they're not thinking about, the Son of God, the the I I uh, you know the manifestation that became mm -hmm. the Christ uh, as having you know without Him nothing was made that was made uh, mm -hmm. because He is that eternal Word. He is the He's the very essence of God's speech. Um, we could, if we chose, end up in an Aryan position um, okay. where everything you said is true, uh, except Jesus isn't eternal. God creates him first before all things. He's preeminent in everything and then creates through Jesus. So we could still end up in an Aryan position. Um, again, I want to emphasize logos is different than rhema in Greek. Rhema doesn't say the rhema, the speech, mm -hmm. right? But but the modern Christian, the King James only type, the you know the the Bible's the Word of God type, uh, they're they're just making the assumption that logos and rhema are the same thing. First of mm -hmm. all, because mm -hmm. your translators translate logos as word because it comes, it's related to the verb lego to say or to speak. Oh, that's the word for toy, you idiot. No, anyway, um, uh, yeah, right. Um, no, no, it doesn't say the rhema became flesh, it's the logos. And the logos 
is a is a technical term. It's a term used in both, as I said, Greek philosophy and the wisdom literature, like the wisdom of Solomon, like the um, um, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs eight. You know, um, where Logos and Sophia are cognates, and then and then as you move in the wisdom tradition, Logos, Sophia, Torah all become cognates. Okay, so when the writer says the Logos becomes flesh. Torah came through Moses. He's separating Torah and Logos. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. so you just said, um, was it Proverbs eight that mm-hmm. you just referred yeah. to? Yeah. Proverbs is eight. That, is that uh, worth talking about wisdom? Well, yeah. And I mean, wis- that wisdom was there when the worlds were made. Is that the, is that the portion of scripture I'm thinking? That's of? correct. Okay. Yes. All right. And, and All right. this this plays a huge role in the debates leading up to the Nicene Council because Arius was a literalist. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when in, in, in chapter 8, verse 22 of the book of Proverbs, it says, the unpronounceable name, Hashem, or mm-hmm. Y-H-W-H, created me when his purpose first unfolded before the oldest of his works from everlasting I was firmly set and we we know when you come to the beginning of the chapter it's Sophia that's being talked about wisdom but mm-hmm. wisdom's already being identified here with Torah and logos um from everlasting I was firmly set from the beginning before earth came into being the deep was not when I was born There were no springs to gush water. So you have this, I was by his side a master craftsman, delighting him day after day, ever at play in his presence, at play everywhere in the world, delighting to be with the sons of men. You have this very beautifully denic picture, right, of wisdom and Torah in this dance with human beings. Okay. Arius said it says he was created. Mm -hmm. So he can't be eternal. So if you're going to use a text like this for your Christology, you'd best be able to deal with that. You know what I mean? Which, but if messes, you... with, which messes with everybody's head. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you recognize that something like Proverbs 8 is not, quote, divinely inspired. It's not God's word. It's a reflection of a certain Jewish writer or writers at a certain period of time. It doesn't mean revelation doesn't come through it. It just means this is where they're at. It's like our theology today Mm -hmm. is good for today. A hundred years from now, somebody tries to take our theology and turn it into something, they'd be all wrong. Yeah. That's why this, this discussion is, is so important. It's, it's so much bigger than just shooting holes through the Bible or, mm-hmm, or you know, mm-hmm. well, the Bible's not what it's talking about and, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's, 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 it's the, the whole discussion is so much bigger than that. Uh, take, I'll take you over to uh, uh, Hebrews uh, 4. 12, uh, the word of God is sharper, powerful, you know, 
than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing, you know, between soul and spirit, the joints and the marrows, and, you know, is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And, and so we're, you know, again, it uses the term, the word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but when it goes on to describe what the word of God does, it does not sound like the writer of Hebrews is talking about a, a person or even a spirit. It sounds like he's mm-hmm. talking about, uh, you know, something that's written, you know. And, mm-hmm. and as, as we're discussing here, I'm thinking people have to get their head around this. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like, oh yeah, that's talking about the Bible. Oh yeah, John, John's talking about the Bible, you know. <laughs> uh, and and wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. the The Bible became flesh and dwell among us. It's like, I, I'm sorry, right there. I just shot a hole through your whole theology that the Word of God is the Bible, or the Bible yeah. is the Word of God, whatever. You know, it's like. Uh, you know, so I'm 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 intentionally trying to uh, keep pulling us back to what you're saying, Michael, because it, it, you know to use a, a, a favorite term of charismatics, we need to camp on this for a while, <laughs> you know, until our listeners get it. Yes. Yeah. So the the Hebrews text obviously has nothing to do with the Bible. Um, you could perhaps say the writer's thinking of the um, uh, the Torah here, um, uh, or God speaking when God speaks. That that's all possible. Certainly does not refer to Jesus. Uh, and this is not part of the Logos Christology. This writer doesn't have that. I don't think. Second, the context is really interesting. The context here is not not a, the writer's not making a, um, a statement about scripture being living and active, and when you read it, it just cuts you to the ground. The if you look at at the context here in chapter four, this writer is very clearly dealing with the issue of what happens when people reject God addressing them. Mm-hmm. That, that the whole thing is about this, and the writer concludes. I mean, this the, this this is being argued through the end of chapter two, all of chapter three, into chapter four. And his conclusion here, at this point, is when God speaks, it cuts through all the BS. Everything is truth and held to be. There's there's no more lies, no more deception. Everything is uncovered. And only then, after he says all that, then now you're feeling really bad, right? Oh, the Bible does, you know, it's kind of like Luther's first use of the law. You read scripture so it condemns you and then drives you to Jesus, you know, kind of thing. No, the writer, after he does all this misery stuff, he says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest, and bada boom, bada bing, you move into Christology. And so the emphasis is not on, on even on the word of God, um, uh, separating 
um, all the lies in our life out of us so that we only know the truth about ourselves, you know, getting rid of all the BS. But, but at the same time, we are acknowledging, wow, we have someone who was made in every way just like us. Every way, just like us, you know. And this does not mean that your personal uh, challenges were the same as Jesus. Jesus, for example, was not blind. Right. So he never knew blindness. He wasn't deaf, right? It doesn't appear that he needed a cane to walk. The text never says suggests anything like that, you know. Um, uh, he doesn't have a disease, as far as we can tell, right? So, you, you know, you can't turn, every, people cannot use a text like this to say, oh, Jesus was just like me. In the same way, you cannot, 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 cannot use your Sarxian way of thinking and doing and living, which means, well, I get angry and it's a human emotion. It's a natural thing. And it's just, you know, I'm, it's natural for me to get angry and blah, 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 blah. And therefore, Jesus was angry because he was human too. And so you go looking for places where Jesus mm-hmm. gets mad, right? Right. And um, you just have to stop and go, you don't get it. Animals do not get angry when they fight. They're not in an anger mode. They're not resentful and bitter and full of hatred. They, they are in a primal brain. They are below the threshold of consciousness. And anybody that's been in war knows that you do not do war. It's not that it's not conscious. It's that the something primal takes over. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, so it's absurd to, to try and make our peccadilloes and... Uh, I mean, it's like people that go, oh, Jesus must have masturbated. He was a guy and all guys do. I'm just sitting there going, no, it's like, no, 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 don't. Jesus was an ascetic. You know, whether he did or didn't, the text doesn't say anything. So don't go making him into your image. Right. You know, um, I think that's the key thing we have got to do when it comes to understanding Jesus' humanness. He's the true human. He's the model of what it means to be human. We're not. Right. Right. So let's go back to what you were saying about, and and you brought out through the Nicene Creed, uh, the two aspects. The first aspect, uh, you used a word, but you passed over it pretty quickly, that word being the cosmos. Uh there is, I'm thinking in terms of several scriptures, uh, there is the beginning of our faith kind of scripture, for God so loved the cosmos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the cosmos to himself. Mm -hmm. The whole of creation the cosmos is groaning, waiting for the, you know. So there's several scriptures that point to that. Now, what you said, or at least what I heard you say, is when it says that he became flesh, the Nicene Creed talks about two 
things there. And, and, and I'm hearing you say uh, that he stepped into the, the realm of creation itself where he became tangible, touchable, mm-hmm. uh, observable. Uh, so on and so forth. Can you can you round that out a little bit more? Yeah. So so the um, the Greeks have the term cosmos. Um, you'll recognize we we derive the English term cosmetics from that because it's mm-hmm. the way something is ordered. You know the way so an actor or or a woman might quote order their face. Okay. Um, the Johannine Gospel uses the word cosmos for God so loved the cosmos. The Romans text uses the word for creation, the natural world, the physical world, trees, birds, plants, rocks, for all the kitesis, groans and travails. There's a difference between kitesis and cosmos. If you use kitesis, the emphasis is on the physical, the tangible, the, 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 the um, you know, rocks, shells. You know, okay. if, if you use cosmos, you're referring to the quote, way we perceive reality to be structured. And if you just think about the ancients, how did they perceive reality to be structured when they looked up into the night sky? What did they see? Constellations. Yes. And what were the constellations? What did they do? They told stories about figures in mythology and things, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. And when you have all of that and you combine it with, and the way they move determines your fate, right? You have all, that's cosmos. It has to do with this way we order the universe and perceive the universe to be ordered. It says, for God so loved the cosmos. It's just this way that that the Father will order things. And then there's also the way we order things. And we don't order things properly. So the logos of God, that which structures reality, that's why I've translated it in some of my work, logos equals the structuring principle of reality. I would say the structuring principle of reality became flesh, comes into the cosmos. The the flesh cosmos reality is structured falsely. It's either structured on philosophy or it's structured on a form of Torah, prohibition, ritual, myth, okay? Either way, it's a, it creates effects that are not meant to be in the structure of the reign of God, namely death, violence, and those kinds of things. So, so the structure of God, or would it be fair to say the narrative of God stepped into the narrative of of humanity or or the structure of god stepped into the structure of humanity oh i i kind of like both of those i like the first one better but i kind of like that thinking <laughs> yeah i think that's pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah but 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 recognizing they don't mesh they don't overlap the one is in a sense an antithesis to the other mm-hmm. you know but wouldn't that be uh if you say the narrative of God stepped into the narrative of, of man, mankind, or humanity, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be uh, the emptying of, of himself? Yeah, I mean, um, 
it's it's a funny thing. I might my, my mind is really starting to play with that, Jim. The narrative of God comes into the narrative of the human species as logos and sarks. Um, my mind wants to say that um, the narrative of God, which is which is what it's a narrative of love. Yes, that God is love. Yes. Yes. Steps into this other reality. We don't know love, and all of our gods are mixed. Mixed. They're Janus faced, and it it produces the real problem. I think the real problem. What Scripture is just consistently trying to address: How does a pure, loving God? enter into a world that's created all of its religions around a Janus-faced deity and say, I'm not like that. I'm not like you all think and have thought for 5,000 years. I'm not like that. Yeah. How does he do that? Her, she do that. He or she, divinity, becomes, as you say, empties themselves. How does this occur? In the Philippians text you're citing, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it says, having emptied himself, not considering equality with God to consist in the act of grasping, not a thing to be grasped, yep. but to consist in the act of grasping. And there is a, there Philippians 2, him here has a direct parallel to the Genesis text about Adam. This is this is Paul's use uh, uh, of, a, of an early hymn where Jesus reverses what Adam did. Mm -hmm. It's a marvelous little hymn in Philippians, okay? And um, he empties himself. He doesn't consider equality with God to consist in the act of grasping or taking, but takes instead on the form of a servant, that's what he. That's 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 as low as you can go in society, mm -hmm. until you get arrested and put on a Roman cross. At which point, that's the lowest you can go ever anywhere. Yeah. Um, if that if that uh, is the is divinity, it's not like any divinity you're going to find in recorded literature or mythology or anywhere else. Wow. Yeah. You know, if divinity is this, how am I going to serve the human species? Well, I'm going to go walking around healing them for three years. And then when they kill me, I'm, I'm going to forgive them. What kind of a God is this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Johanna and writers just, this is this and Paul too. They were stunned by this. Yeah, because as you guys were talking about the cosmos and he came to re redeem or restructure the cosmos, I, I, I really liked, Michael, how you were talking about that it, it was the stars and, you know, how, I mean, the stars were part of the cosmos and they, they told the stories, you know, and, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden it just like really hit me because, you know, I had to get outside of my 21st century brain, you know, and think back in, in their time how, how they viewed the night sky. Mm -hmm. And and just started thinking, like, for example, the Greeks, you know, they look up and they, you know, see pictures of violence everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. the violent mm -hmm. gods, the wars, the, you know, mm -hmm. the, all that that represents. And so it really, like, hit hard the, the, of, 
of that Jesus restructuring, recreating the cosmos, that those violent images that were their world, that were their entire reality, their structuring principles, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. he comes to completely restructure that. It, it, it just, it, wow. <laughs> I mean, it just, it really like, um, caused me to see how profound that is because we're, we don't look at the night sky that way. Now we no. go, Oh, look stars, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's pretty, we'll, we'll send up a telescope and look at them and explore the science behind them. And, you know, but, but for them, that, that was their story. The native yes. Americans, it was the same thing, you know, the yeah. sky, that, that was your story. Yeah. And, and, and you, whatever culture you were in, you projected that onto that night sky. Right. And, and so I'm just like, wow, that's a, that's profound. And, and then, and then you start thinking about the Magi mm-hmm. looking at that sky. Wow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and they see the coming of this King and they're, they're not even his people, <laughs> you know, they're Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, uh, I don't know. It, it's 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 pretty profound. So they're they're getting the glimpse of a restructuring taking place. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I I think the this this whole topic that we're talking about, you know, uh, to use your words, Lauren, is really cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, because it's it's so much. Deeper, if that's uh, you know an appropriate word, uh, then we we think, you know, well, yeah, okay, so God became a human, and it's like uh, this. What 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 we're saying is it's so much bigger than that. He. Uh, Michael, you just said something. Uh, he became a servant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who did he become a servant to? Did he become a servant to uh, Jewish people? You know, uh, you know, in in that part of the world, and so that's why he healed them is because he was a servant, and that's why he did this because he is a servant. He fed five thousand people because he was a servant. Or, or was he a servant to the whole of the cosmos that was out of order? And he came to serve that and began, I don't, I, I'm just, my mind, the wheels are just kind of going. He began, or, or he came and began a movement that will culminate in putting the whole thing in order. Would it be possible to uh, uh, look at it a third way? Okay. Um, Jesus comes and serves Israel, the people uh, of the Mm -hmm. covenant. He's rejected. God raises him from the dead. He's set at the right hand of the Father. Where he is given the name above all names, Hashem, Y-H-W-H. That at the name of Jesus, who is now the Kurios, the God, everything will bow. Everything in creation, heaven, earth, under the earth, everything. Now, what if 
in his role as high priest, he serves all creation. But in his mission, he served Israel. Because he was faithful in his mission, God has exalted him, and now he serves all of creation. That would be in keeping with uh, certain scriptures. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, he became obedient to the cross. Yeah. Therefore, God has exalted him. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's right. That's what I I'm find thinking it, of. I, I, I find another scripture or, or a portion of scriptures. Uh, I think somehow they fit into what we're talking about, but I find them interesting. Uh the at, at least the evangelical theology is that um, Jesus won the battle. Okay, he totally defeated the Satan. He disarmed him, so on and so forth. He he, uh, you know, destroyed his kingdom if he ever had a kingdom. But anyhow, all all that kind of stuff, and then. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here until I make your enemies a footstool. And so, wait a minute, he just, he destroyed everything. He ascended on high. He sits down at the right hand of the Father, but he's going to stay there until his enemies become a footstool? Aren't they already, you know, and aren't they already? And and you've, you've got this, you know, is the enemy defeated or isn't he, you know? And the well, last enemy will be death. Yeah. Um, okay. Are you referring to the uh, to the charismatic penchant for um, mixing the two ages? Is that what you're referring to? Well, there's certainly that, and going from there, you know, both in this age and in the age to come, there certainly is that. And then from there, you leap off into the insanity of dominion theology. Yeah. Uh, okay, so all, all of know. this is the collapsing into a, of the future into the present as a realized eschatology. That's all. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And that is a, <clears throat> it's a move that is not made in the New Testament except for the Johannine author, and that move cannot be made except through the cross. That the cross does away with time. It, it, it everything dies in the cross in the Johannine narrative, and that includes time. Okay. Um, again, the charismatic tradition. Um, I, I think you know it. it um, in its inception, as a desire to. People were looking to self, they were looking to transcend into an experience of God rather than being told what God was supposed to be like, and they just conceived of it. They wanted to experience it. There, right. there was that. Okay. And that it's without making a passing a judgment on that, um, because most, I, I would say, even this is true of myself, most uh, of what I consider experience of the divine is nothing more than me transcending myself. You know, it's, it's a kind of a pseudo transcendence and I'm, I'm experiencing myself larger than life because I'm now in relation to this God that's so big and everything else. Okay. It is important to experience, uh, the father, but it is not, um, our experience can't be the bottom line, uh, uh f for us. 
um, be, because we can be deceived about our we can misinterpret our experience. You know? Absolutely. I was just thinking of all the words that an author could pick for the logos became, you know, Zoe life. The logos became uh, hoathropos, a human being. You know, the, um, the lo- logos became hikatesis, a, a created reality. I mean, all the things that they that the writer could have picked and. He takes this theme of God communicating, how God communicates and what God communicates is now done in flesh, in broken reality, in this figure, this human figure, who, for all apparent reasons, should never be listened to because he's nothing more than a terrorist criminal that's trying to ruin us and ruin our lives. Uh Right. And yet that, that he becomes highly exalted because he did the father's will. What was the father's will? To love the enemy, something terrorists don't do. To forgive the enemy, something that people that hate each other don't do. You know, to bring mercy and peace, something those that are have vested interests in violence don't do. Does Does making the father fully known fit into that also it would have to i mean we we the, the whole point i think of 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 jesus is i think he understood his mission right was that he knew the father he knew he knew the father he knew that his experience of the father what was was the experience of the people of God. He was reliving the entire history of Israel's story in his life. He was recapitulating it. And Paul goes even further. Oh, it wasn't just Israel's story. He's recapitulating. It's our whole human story. That's getting re, the, 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 the redone transformation in Jesus. Including reversing the effects of uh, Adam's. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, those are just wiped away. Yeah. You know, so you reverse them, you wipe them away. Yes. And by wiping them away, you can reverse the effects. If, if sin is wiped away, you don't have any fear of punishment, any guilt, any shame. You know, people may still say to you, oh, do you remember that time you did this? Or remember that time? You know, but, but if you in your heart know it's, it's forgiven, it's gone. Then they're stuck with your past as part of their sarks, their cosmos, but your present and your future is now part of the reign of God. That's why it's important. We don't lock anyone into who they were, and we let people be who they are becoming. That's Mm -hmm. good. Now, some people are just repeating themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Who Mm -hmm. they were is who they are and who they'll become, but we need to let them be. But there's a lot of well, there's a lot more people that are just changing all the time and growing, and we need to let that reality hit us that God does indeed come into our world and restructure our realities. That the Father does indeed come in and love us back to health. That we are indeed saved, redeemed. Our lives are given meaning and purpose and value by the by the Father's engaging us in life and showing us, you know. The, the meaning and purpose and significance of our existences as persons or individuals in relation to each other. That's a beautiful thing about the gospel, man, is it? 
it just heals everything. Yeah. yeah, and and it really the things you just said, Michael, really hit on why I think that particularly the flat reading of texts done in so many denominations and stuff um, so misses it because the way that that's read, then it's it, when when you have a flat reading, it's basically that well, God gave the message, you know, it's all there, but He needed to kill some somebody. So that's why Jesus came. And while he was here, he showed us, you know, because he couldn't help it. He was God. So he showed us some God stuff. And then and then he died. So he took our sins away. So it's not that that Jesus comes and reorders the cosmos and goes, in other words, you guys aren't getting it. You know, let me show you the father. Let me show you the way things are. Um, instead it's, it's just, here's, here's all this text. that's already there. God already, you know, he wrote it all down. It's, it's all there. And then Jesus is just coming because he's, he's the punishment. He's the one who's going to get killed where, when, when you see it for rather, when you see it as Jesus was scapegoated and that Jesus is the, the first time we really get that picture of who the father is it completely restructures us, <laughs> you know, cause, and, and that's, and see, I think that's the part that really bothers me with the flat reading because it's like it, the assumption is the message. It, it's all there. It's all there. Jesus, Jesus was just like, kind of like, Hey, I read the book. Let's see the movie, you know? <laughs> so when that's not it at all, <laughs> you, 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 you overstated uh, one aspect, Lauren, um, saying that uh, most Christians believe that Jesus took away our sin. Uh, the reality is most Christians don't believe he took our sin away. They believe he forgave our sin, and then he doesn't remember it. But he didn't oh. take it away. Wow. Yeah, good Whoa. point. Yeah. Bummer, eh? Yeah. Really? Remind me not to go to that church. <laughs> because because if that if that were some kind of re- reality, then because he's God, once again, we go there, he can forget our sin, and he can even, I mean, he for, can forgive it. But he leaves us with the memory of it. And when I live in the memory of my sin, then I live in the shame of my sin. Yeah. And when I live in the shame of my sin, I leave it, I live in the fear of punishment mm-hmm. for my sin. Yeah. yeah. Even though theologically, I think I believe that he took my punishment, I still believe that I'm going to get punished. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it's it's insane, is what it really is. And and the flatline reading, as you're saying, Lauren, I uh, my my mind fixates on the day of the vengeance of our God and and the the wrath that is yet to come and. The after that, the judgment and, you know, all of those things. And my mind just fixates on that. And I can't 
get away from the fact that, uh, you know, I was a sinner. I'm now saved by grace, but I still sin. And, you know, I still need to repent for my sin on a consistent basis. And, and you know, and every time I repent, then God says, oh, okay, Jim, I'll forgive you. And mm -hmm. you know what? I'll just forget about it because I forgave you. But I'm still left with it. And, and, and so what you're saying that, no, he, you know, we're getting into another whole subject and it could be another podcast, but I think we've already talked about this. But no, he took the sin issue out of the way completely, mm -hmm. not for me because in his foreknowledge, he knew that I was going to repent. So he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take Jim's sin away. He took the sin of the cosmos away. Uh, and, and we're right back there. Uh, and, and, you know, because he took the law out of the way. He took mm -hmm. all of it. He, right. You know, we're going to change the rules here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and the rules are there are no rules. <laughs> okay. Right. And, you know, because we didn't know sin until the law was introduced. <laughs> So let's take the law out, and then you won't know sin anymore. <laughs> well, so you don't have to know shame, and you don't have to know fear. <laughs> I mean, that's James Allison's thesis in his book, um, uh, The Joy of... of um, oh, God, I want to say it's The Joy of Being Wrong, but um, that is the wrong title, and it's in my office, and I don't. it's in the other room. Uh, at any rate, Allison argues that you don't. we only know sin. In the gospel, we only know sin... As it's being forgiven, because the, we're made aware of sin and it's already passing away. We're being forgiven. We're made aware of it. It's gone. That's cool. You know, we That's don't good. know sin is a thing in itself, apart from it being forgiven. Right. You that know. is cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, again, Protestantism with its admixture of law and gospel. There we go. More of the same. Same problems. Same problems. Yeah. Same problems. Over and over and over and over. And why can't we solve them? because we aren't paying attention to the text. The mm -hmm. text makes really, really clear there's a substantive difference between the logos of the Father and the logos of the world, and the two aren't the same. Yeah. Well, guys, so, once again, this has been a, a great discussion. And uh, everybody out there, thanks for tuning in. And uh, do you, uh, for people who are just listening, where can people find uh, uh, the stuff that you've written, Michael, and the videos that you have? Amazon and YouTube. All right. And Jim, where can people find your book? And on uh, Amazon. All righty. And well, Lauren, where, where can people find all of your fine, fantastic, wonderful, whatever it is you've done? <laughs> Well, there is one thing you could find. I, I, there's a series I worked on with my friend Steve Crosby called Life in the New Covenant. Uh, there are several episodes on it, and Michael's included in the in one of the interviews on that. Um, oh, am I? Okay. It's a, yeah. You, um, and uh, we did it via Zoom, if you don't remember. Tried to get Jim, but his footage didn't come out good, unfortunately. Um, but but anyway, it's it covers several topics that are uh, – and one of them is actually on uh, Jesus, the exact representation of the Father. 
And uh, that's the one Michael appears in. Brad Jerzak appears in it. Um, some other people. Um, so yeah, if you want to, it's just on YouTube. It's free. Uh, just type in life in the new covenant. If you can't find it there, uh, go to Steve Crosby um, and uh, search his page and I'm sure you'll find it there. So anyway, cool. Warren, did any of your uh, earlier works, uh, are any of those still available that you did with uh, David and... and uh... They are. Um, I mean, we did this one uh, church outside, what was it? Uh, church Outside the Walls? Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, church yeah. Outside the Walls. Uh, that one, I don't promote it much anymore because frankly, the history is bad. Um, I've, I've grown since then. And so there's yeah. things in there that I'm not, you know, it's kind of like when you write a book, things are what they are in the season you write them, but then you outgrow. Um, and that was the thing when, when, uh, when we made that series, there, there is some good stuff in there, but there's things that I no longer agree with. Like we're pretty harsh on the institutional church, which I mm -hmm. think that they're, I think that as we've talked about house churches and stuff can be just as poisonous. And I've seen institutional churches like yours that I attended that really had love for one another. So um, yeah, there's, there's, that's why I don't, I don't promote it yeah. like I, I used yeah. to. I mean, um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the skits we did that were funny. I don't know if that website's still up. We, we did a, we had a, um, a, uh, I forgot the name of the the skits, but we created our own fake church and did a whole bunch of short skits or almost like SNL skits that were that were actually pretty funny. Um, just kind of pointing out issues through humor, you know. You, cre um, you created your own fake church. Isn't that what most churches are? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out here. You gotta, you gotta go back and see if those are are are, are still available and. Um, you know, watch them and see which ones you still agree with and, and yeah. make them available because I enjoyed them. Uh, of course, I enjoyed chick cracks back in the day, too. So <laughs> well, maybe well, they all are. Well, no, those I, I enjoyed those. broccoli when I got COVID. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. just like, no, those those had some winners. Those had some home runs did. on it they uh, really, because they like, really did. Like we had one that just totally tore it the whole. Uh, uh, what do you call those? The religious telethon thing, you know, money raiser oh, yeah. thing that yeah. was really funny where the guy calls in, says it didn't work. <laughs> um, well, there were there were some good ones there. Um, so, yeah, I'll check them out. I'll see if they're uh, if, if any of those are, are still around. Good. So. And with that, me, myself, and I are going to sign off. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Well, take care, everybody.